Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hello, my name is David. I am a sexaholic, and my sobriety date's August 2nd, 1988, for which I can never be sufficiently grateful and I um, would like to invite you to join me in the we version of the serenity prayer as a way to uh, bring us together as much as we can on this worldwide event. After a moment of silence, the serenity prayer, the we version, God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not ours be done. Uh, I'm so pleased to uh, have a chance to uh, both be a part of the uh, Internet Marathon and also um, to talk about spiritual awakening. Uh, Although I have to say, um, when I came into this program, I didn't have much of a sense for what that meant. And that was a bit ironic since it's actually my uh, profession or was my profession. I'm now retired. Uh, from actively engaging that, and um, the um, the program, I came into it pretty much through the same way anybody else did. This was in August second, uh, nineteen eighty eight. Um, namely, out of pain, I was afraid—not afraid. I had good reason to believe I was about to lose another marriage, another set of kids, an occupation, and um, a whole bunch of uh, relationships, and. Uh, that afternoon, uh, a therapist uh, that was meeting with my wife and I on an emergency basis said, uh, well, you're a sex addict, or a sex, she said sex addict, I'm sure, and um, I, when I heard that, I, I knew right away she was correct, and I didn't understand at the time uh, that was a miracle that I accepted that right away, uh, and yet enough things had happened uh, that I didn't need any uh, convincing uh, that that was the case. The other um, thing that happened is I got a call. I made a call that uh, she told me to make. It was to uh, the office of a psychiatrist uh, who uh, turned out was involved with Sexaholics Anonymous. He spoke uh, several hours ago on this channel. And um, and his uh, administrator told me to uh, call another number, which turned out to be an answering service. And about within 45 minutes to an hour, I got a call back um, telling me there was a meeting that night and would I meet him, his name was Steve, at the meeting, uh, which I did. And uh, that was my first uh, meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. It wasn't until sometime later that I understand, under, came to understand it was a miracle uh, that uh, I got a call back that quickly. That doesn't always happen to people when they're inquiring about us. 
one of the things the uh, internet has done for us is to make our schedules more readily available uh, since returning phone calls isn't always our easiest or longest suit. Uh, and I started going to meetings that night and I started, I had for other reasons in my life, not recovery, uh, become familiar with the, I say that that's actually not literally true. I was aware of the 12 steps. Familiar would be a great step beyond what I had knowledge of. I did have an AA big book. Um, I had had it, acquired it in my professional training. And um, I knew that the steps were somewhere uh, about 50 pages in. <laughs> that was, And I could turn to them if I flipped pages quickly enough, if I had to. And that was um, sort of my, that's the foundation I walked in on. And yet, as I shared at the noon meeting today, and at our noon meeting today, I was also uh, streaming. Uh, AJ, AJ, I think was his name, uh, was talking on sponsorship. It was a wonderful uh, foundation for the meeting, and we had a great discussion. And um, and as I shared at that meeting, uh, at that first meeting, or the second one, but I'm pretty sure it was the first one, there were all men there that night, which turned out to be a bit unusual And um, for that time in Nashville. And uh, I heard the final words of the solution. We were making the real connection. We were home. And I think in some ways, um, my first step, but um, in some ways, that was when I joined SA, because as soon as I heard those words, we were home, I realized how long, at that point, over 36 years, uh, I had been looking for a home, a place where I felt I belonged. And, and, um, and, and this clearly was going to be it. I also heard people talk about getting drunk on masturbation, getting drunk on lust, sexual lust. And I identified with that immediately. I'm not an alcoholic yet. Uh, at the same time, um, I totally understood the the concept of getting drunk on lust and on masturbation, and and um, why I understood it. Truthfully, I can't tell you. Uh, I just know that I did, and I'm so grateful for for that. And I've been coming ever since. Um, I did know enough to know that going to 90 meetings in 90 days is what it would take. I knew that these are 12-step programs, so they were based on the Alcoholics Anonymous books as well as our literature. And our literature at that time uh, consisted of a pamphlet and the uh, white book that was in an 8.5 by 11 format in uh, typewriter script. So it looked quite different from what we have today. And um, and then there were uh, some written things. There was this newsletter that came out um, that would come out from time to time, and I would see copies of that. That was pretty much all of our uh, literature. I think there were some other uh, written pieces that, well, they were part of those uh, newsletters that had been uh, reprinted and were available. I didn't see a lot of those for a while. I did see a white book, uh, which I got, and I did see, um, the, of course, the AA literature. And in the front of the 12 and 12, and this uh, these phrases uh, I don't want to exaggerate, but I think they're probably in my mind uh, almost every day. If they're not, they're in my mind frequently. And it's right on the first page of the forward of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Alcoholics Anonymous's 12 Steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. And, and that promise, that's what it is, of course, that promise resonated with me the first time I read it um, and and still is in my head, as I said, almost every day, if not every day. 
spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to lust, in my case, and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. And uh, that really <laughs> appealed to me. Um, and, and I really had a lot of faith in spiritual principles uh, in theory and was having, looking forward to a chance to actually maybe live them. I didn't know I was looking forward to it, truthfully. Um, I did discover, however, how much I uh, did want that. And I think that was part of that reaction. We were making the real connection. We were home. In the um, White Book, uh, Spiritual Awakening, um, is a, Roy does a really good job and, and, um, in a couple of different ways. Um, one, uh, it's sort of always, these all start at the end of about page, uh, in the mid-40s uh, pages. He starts talking about the spiritual uh, basis of our addiction, but he does uh, something in terms of developing uh, the roots of our addiction that I've always appreciated, and I'll just share the general outline of it uh, in talking to you. And that is, uh, he outlines the spiritual process uh, that he uh, exper has experienced himself as an addict and he's has seen in others. And it begins with the attitude change. Um, as one of the AA speakers uh, says here in the United States, um, we have uh, a flag we rally under. And the flag says, but you don't understand, I'm different from you. And the attitude change is, uh, I'm different from you. Uh, I am not, uh, I don't experience the same feelings. I don't have the same needs and desires and and we start to um, have an attitude change, and Roy labels it as resentment, hostility, anger, envy, rebellion, and rage. I did all of those really well. And yet, uh, I also uh, stayed in a pretty constant state of uh, seeking sexual arousal, if not always experiencing it. And, um, and then that was kind of alternated with those other feelings. And then a decision to persist in wrong. Um, I knew when I was four or five years old, that what I was doing was wrong, uh, taking my clothes off in public, voyeuring girls. And the reason I knew that was because people would tell me <laughs> that it was wrong. So I didn't have to imagine it. And, and he talks in this spiritual process about a decision to persist in wrong. And then guilt and punishment, feeling guilty about it, getting punished for it, having consequences, and yet knowing that I was going to persist in it anyway. And it just became more and more of a secret. Uh, Fan my fantasy life uh, was just centered around and fed by uh, sexual images. And then self-obsession, um, that this is something I have to have, I have to do. And at age 10, I discovered masturbation. And one of the things that helped me on that first night identify with getting drunk on masturbation is I had known alcoholics over the years who um, could describe in great detail their first drink. And I could describe and can describe to this day uh, in great detail that first time I experienced an orgasm as a result of conscious masturbation. Uh, something may have happened sooner. I don't know about that. What I do know is that night when I was 10 years old, uh, I knew this was something I had to have. And, and it was for me, and it became a secret right away and uh, very uh, constant and the sexual fantasies became more elaborate. I remember drawing things when I was in school and at home and sexual fantasies. And at age 13, I thought, this is not right, David. Uh, you really shouldn't be so obsessed with this. And then uh, I thought, well, 
I'm not going to change though. I'm not. So that was the last time I consciously thought about stopping. Um, and then I did came in at age 42. So there was a, a number of years there and then separation, um, blindness and delusion, uh, not seeing the seeing or accepting. I can remember people reaching out to me over in my twenties and thirties saying, uh, you know, some of the relationships you have with women and some of the things you're doing with women just aren't right. And of course, my wife, my wives uh, were very upset. Um, my first marriage ended in divorce and the second marriage, um, the, um, the, it, it was the one thing we didn't, weren't going to do was have affairs. And then I was doing it. And then having this uh, negative connection, um, it was just always there. And spiritual death. These are just the categories that Roy has in the white book. And then he uh, talks about that this kind of spiritual disconnection is the root of our addiction. And that totally fits me uh, and always has. And so when I first became aware of these set of principles, spiritual in nature, and sitting in that meeting, and then was reading about the spiritual basis of addiction, uh, I realized that I had become a spiritual, um, spiritually affected in a negative way. And the, uh, that's my dog, I apologize for that. And, um, and I needed to uh, probably have a spiritual solution to uh, fix it. And, uh, and I got um, involved in that and, and very active in, in SA uh, right away. Um, the, um, the spiritual awakening takes many forms, and it's not necessarily based around sobriety. Uh, and as Bill sees it, there's a, a reading that I've always liked when I, when I come to it. I, I work my way through the books and then start over again at the beginning. And, um, and one of the things Bill writes on number eight, A New Life, is sobriety all that we're to expect of a spiritual awakening? No, sobriety is only a bare beginning. It's only the first gift of the first awakening. If more gifts are to be received, our awakening has to go on. As it does go on, we find that bit by bit we can discard the old life, the one that did not work, for a new life that can and does work under any conditions whatever. Regardless of worldly success or failure, regardless of pain or joy, regardless of sickness or health, or even of death itself, a new life of endless possibilities can be lived if we're willing to continue our awakening through the practice of AAs and now SAs, 12 steps. And that's been my experience. Um, sobriety as a goal, what I tell people I sponsor, mostly so I can hear myself say it, is that uh, if I could choose sobriety, I wouldn't need SA. Um, I tell people, and again, to hear myself say it, that um, SA is a program for people who can't choose to be sober, um, who cannot, um, by dint of willpower, um, live a life that is reasonable, that <laughs> I could tell anybody what I'm doing. And, um, and, and as I said, if I could make that choice, well, I probably would, first of all, because I had a lot of consequences. And secondly, um, I wouldn't need a program to do it. I would just, you know, have more and more willpower, which is what most, that's one of the, I had many gifts as I came in, um, one of which I'll talk about in a few minutes. But another one was that I knew everything I had tried to stop. I, I really did know, even though at 13, I made a decision to keep going on the masturbation uh, and the sexual fantasizing and, and lusting after women and, and men for that matter too. And, um, and at the same time, I, it was having consequences. I did feel really isolated and alone. 
and had this whole secret life. Um, I, I sort of mentioned it to both my wives. Uh, they didn't, not sort of, I did mention it to them, but <laughs> I presented it as, oh, well, sometimes I masturbate, and they didn't have any problem with that. So I thought, oh, there's no problem. The fact that I had images of other women in my head the entire time, I managed to omit that. Um, but when I came in, uh, I slowly began to realize that sobriety was a byproduct of my relationship with a higher power. This was a problem uh, because uh, I had been raised by parents who, although they had had uh, conventional church connections growing up, they had both become atheists in college and graduate school. And I, um, that was what was passed on to me was atheism. And, and the, um, God was almost a word I could barely use. That was one of my biggest concerns coming into Sexholics Anonymous is I knew that God was a real important part of it. It's throughout the big book and 12 Steps and 12 Traditions and, and you know, the things people say in meetings. And I didn't know what I was going to do. What I did know, however, is that um, God didn't make an official appearance until step three. And I thought, well, I'll work on steps one and two and then figure out a way to get through the rest. Uh, it turned out to be a non-issue. What I didn't know, and this is actually in the uh, 12 and 12 in step two, um, is that not having been let down by God, I didn't have a belief in God, so I couldn't be let down by God, um, turned out to be a real asset because then I really had to deal with uh, what we say in the italics in steps 3 and 11, uh, God as we understood him. And the, the wording I often use, again, to hear myself say it, although it's, I pass it on to others, is I think all of us in SA have to wrestle with the italics. Uh, what is God as I understand him? And it's not even I, I'm misquoting there. What is God as we understood him? Um, and it's not, this is, first of all, not a program of I. It's not to get David sober or for David to have his marriage continue or for David to not be trashing relationships or whatever um, David in his uh, obsession goes off and does. It's a we program, and, and the first word of the 12 steps is we, and that's a fundamentally important uh, word for, and throughout the uh, entire recovery process. The, um, so I hadn't been let down by God, so right away I had, to, and for a long time, a long time being roughly a year, I couldn't use the word God comfortably, um, with one exception that I'll tell you about in a minute. And um, the... Um, um, but I could say master in the sense of teacher that, that had been handed on to me by a friend who did meditation. And so I would use that word uh, to uh, um, talk about higher power and well, I like to say higher power too, but the prayers, God and master, I could interchange. So um, I um, would say master. And then I played all sorts of games with the prayers um, uh, with the, uh, Third step um, prayer, God, I offer myself to you. I might start on the second word. Um, for the Lord's Prayer, I might uh, sort of not say it or say parts of it And when we did that. And um, the serenity prayer, uh, God, grant me the serenity. Uh, I, would, uh, you can, I could start on the second word, grant me the serenity. And I was just playing games. Um, when I'd been sober about nine months, however, and this is a part of a spiritual awakening uh, story here. Um, 
in March of uh, 1989, I lost a connection with a higher power, with Master, with God, and it was terrifying. I was absolutely convinced I was going to act out again, because by that time, I really did believe step two, uh, came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, and and I knew I needed it. Um, I also knew I needed step three. By that time, my uh, he wasn't my sponsor then, but he was the old timer in the program there, and and I was worried about getting through step three, and he said, well, David, um, are you willing to work steps four through 12? And I said, of course. And he said, great, you just did step three. <laughs> now, I've gone back and done step three many times since then. I've wrestled with the italics. But, but that experience of losing that conscious contact really it was terrifying. And I didn't know what to do about it. It turned out, as Harvey was actually saying a few hours ago on this channel, um, what to do about it was nothing. Uh, just let it be. It's fighting it that creates the problem. It's fighting that is the sign of not surrendering. And and whatever needed to happen did, because I got through it. And uh, I was in the process of finishing my fifth step then. I did my fifth step. My sponsor promptly left the program. It had nothing to do with my fifth step. And, um, and I switched to a different sponsor who happened to be Harvey, as a matter of fact. Um, I was talking about that and realized that that in some ways, other than those things that happened on my first day, was my first conscious experience of a spiritual awakening, of, of having a different view of the world, of where I fit in the world, of what sobriety could mean for me in terms of reconnecting with other people, and, and things uh, began to feel different. Um, in the uh, white book, uh, Roy quotes the appendix from the um, um, back of the A, a big book, uh, appendix two, um, using of the word spiritual. And I, I, I like the selections he quoted, although the whole thing is worth reading repeatedly. And it takes about nine months to read the A, a big book, uh, two pages at a time. And so I come across it uh, periodically. And we must emphatically wish to say that any, I'll say sexaholic here, capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. And we sometimes talk about that as the how of the program, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, or in the order of uh, Bob, uh, Bill W. writes some willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. And when I would read that, it was very comforting. Because, and, and Roy, I mean, uh, Bill W. says this in the, in the 12 and 12, too. The tent of AA is more than big enough. The tent of the 12 steps is more than big enough to include everybody. It's my willingness to be included that really uh, is in dispute or in, in being challenged at times. Um, the... Uh, Steps that uh, Roy takes in the White Book uh, in terms of dealing with Step 12 and spiritual awakening, uh, he, he talks about this. It's on page 144. Uh, the result of working the steps is not primarily a physical or emotional awakening, though these are involved. It's essentially a spiritual awakening where the spirit that was dead to God, others, and rightness is made alive to God, alive to others, and alive to rightness. 
Spiritual awakening is not mere sobriety and awakening to knowledge about the steps, belief in the steps, or psychological insights into why they work. It's a change of state, an awakening of what was once dead. I don't recall what it was, but I do remember the experience. It was probably in the fall of 1989 when something happened. As I said, I can't recall what it was. But I would, was talking to Harvey every morning at 7.30, and, which I did for a long, long time, over seven years. And, um, and I was describing what had happened. And he said, well, David, that was a spiritual awakening. And, and even telling that sort of about the story without remembering the story itself right now, and I haven't for many years remembered it, um, I still get goosebumps because that's when this set of principles, spiritual in nature, began. I to, I was consciously taking hold of them, and 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 that's what step eleven says: a sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Um, and I, while I had certainly joined SA, I, as I said, I'd done. Well, I was by then. I was doing my eighth step uh, with Harvey and and um, and ninth step breaking my amends. Um, I I really began to feel a part of, and I think that experience I had the first night we were making the real connection. We were home where I knew how much I yearned for it was my willingness to put my rear end in the chair and be a part of the fellowship. But I think it was feeling that oh this spiritual awakening stuff is really beginning to happen. Um, that, as I said, even telling the story, I get goosebumps and, and I hold on to um, that very tightly. Um, and um, I, be, I had a humbling experience. Um, I, I tell people because it is my experience. I did get very comfortable with the word God, by the way. Uh, I do pray to God. I turn my will and my life over to God. Uh, I see it as a part of this fellowship, uh, that I'm a part of this community, uh, that are um, higher power seekers, God seekers, whatever language we need to use. And um, and I became very prideful, not a good spiritual uh, value, by the way, uh, <laughs> about the third step prayer. And I memorized it. I used it. I use it to this day. I use it at various times, 24 hours a day. Early on, I used it intentionally, almost like a, a giant sword. I would wave it around me, I suppose, if I think about it. Um, that's not an image I had at the time. I just used it out of desperation. And um, and I would tell people I'd begun to sponsor. They had to memorize the third step prayer. And I would uh, get on my knees and do the third step prayer in meetings from time to time and stuff like that. Um, and and uh, one night, uh, I remember the meeting. I remember the experience. Um, one night, we were standing in a circle, and everybody said, I, don't, I wasn't chairing the meeting, everybody said, let's close with the third step prayer. And I was so pleased. And, and we did the third step prayer, and they did it the way it's actually written on page 63 of the A Big Book and in our white book, and I did it the way I had chosen to memorize it, and that is toward the end of the prayer where it says, take away my difficulties, the victory over them, may bear witness to those I would help, and then I said, thy love, thy power, and thy way of life, and everybody else said, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, and 
And I was appalled. First of all, as soon as I said it and realized, and they said it correctly, I realized what had happened is I had changed the words. Secondly, I had changed them in my self-centeredness. And I've had lots of affirmations over the years that self selfishness, self-centeredness, that we believe is the root of all our problems. And that whole process Roy describes of developing our addiction, that spiritual withdrawal, it describes me very well. And so this ongoing process uh, of reconnecting and re sort of experiencing God and wrestling with the italics, God, in, in, as I understand him, um, was going on right then. And what I had done was I'd switched the words around because if I was going to have a higher power, I wanted to be really sure about the love before I would accept uh, the higher power, the God's power. And, uh, and that's not the way it's written. <laughs> it's not the way it works. Um, and I haven't made that mistake since then, but I also learned that night, um, and this was a spiritual awakening in its own way, and I've used it constantly uh, since, that I cannot change the words that are in the big book, in the phrases that I quote so often, as much as I would like to. Uh, there are things that by our contemporary standards are just not the way we say things anymore. And yet, um, once the problem is, once I start changing the words to make David happy, I mean, if we had a group conscience of the SA Fellowship change something, okay, that's different. That's not what I'm talking about. When I start changing words to make David happy, um, I can't stop. And even worse than that, I may not even be aware that I'm doing it uh, until I have some experience like I did that night. That's as much a spiritual awakening because it's a reminder of the price I pay in terms of being outside the circle again uh, if I don't maintain that conscious contact and don't uh, sort of stay within the bounds of what uh, Sexaholics Anonymous, in my case, and the 12 Steps offer me. The, um, the other thing about spiritual awakening, it just took so many forms. Um, the worst Coming into this program, my marriage was on the rocks. Uh, my wife uh, did not want to stay married to me, um, although she has repeatedly said over the years that as soon as she learned what it was that I had that was a problem, namely sexual addiction, uh, that you know she sort of realized it wasn't her, it was me, and there was something I could do about it, which I've done ever since. Um, but nonetheless, I um, there really were... Um, plenty of consequences, and we had had some pretty serious battles. The worst battle that we ever had, though, took place four years into um, uh, our marriage and into sobriety. I mean, we'd been married quite a while by then, and um, I um, um, I was fine. I wasn't happy. I didn't like the fact that she was very upset and that we had had a real uh, battle, and um, and at the same, and I didn't know exactly how how that was going to um, play out. Um, but what I did know is that, as we often say in the program, and this is part of a spiritual awakening too, uh, God hasn't brought me this far, or sponsor, my sponsor would say, David, God hasn't brought you this far to drop you now, or God hasn't brought us this far to drop us now. And that uh, commitment and that conviction has been really uh, important to me. And so we got through it. Um, it was actually our longest period of abstinence. Uh, that was a gift. Um, I sorted out some things that needed to be done in Nashville, um, and one of which was moving central office there, actually. 
And um, we did that, and we set ourselves up to uh, move to the West Coast, which is back closer to my wife's family and closer, it turned out, to a fellowship that was quite good and strong in Portland, and I've been a part of it uh, since 1995. And, and that was just a reminder um, that if I really do let go and let God, uh, things will work out fine. And for initially, I just had to accept that on faith. People would say it. I would read it, uh, surrender, uh, turn your will and your life over to the care of God as your understanding, David. Uh, and yet, uh, often a part of me was holding back. And and I uh, had other experiences. Of another spiritual awakening I had had nothing to do with essay proper itself. Um, I was standing in a courtroom with a family member who was facing a five-year minimum prison sentence. And, um, and both of us, I and well, my wife and I, and this other family member were very involved in 12 step recovery. And this family member walked out on probation and, um, and there was a very, very angry prosecutor uh, in the courtroom. And yet that wasn't actually the most powerful part, although that got my attention for sure. Uh, the most powerful part was when the judge asked the family member, um, you were arrested with another person. Where is that person? Well, this other person had refused to get involved in any recovery program, which later changed, I might add, and um, and was literally 20 feet above our heads in, in a jail cell uh, waiting uh, for whatever was going to happen. And um, and that's when I thought, you know, this uh, God stuff really has some power to it. And um, and and I this was not specifically dealing with me other than it affected my our my wife and I and um and it wasn't dealing with SA and yet it had everything to do with practicing these principles in all our affairs. Which gets me to the other thing about spiritual awakening and then I'll um have a couple more readings and wind up uh and open to questions. Well, I won't wind up. I'll talk as long as I need to. Uh at the same time uh, I'm very anxious to answer people's questions if they have any. Um, is that um, the um, the program just keeps changing all the time, and this process of having a spiritual awakening uh, keeps changing, and and it's because I keep changing and life keeps changing, and that's what the twelfth step for me is is really all about. Uh, having had a spiritual awakening as the result uh, at the meeting today, the person reading the steps, which is this is very common, of course said as a result of these steps. And I always uh, sort of flinch when I hear that. And, and, um, and I also learned from humiliation not to correct the person. Uh, I may tell them something later. Nonetheless, it, it's good to get my attention. Uh, spiritual awakening is the result of these steps. And we try to carry this message to, to sexaholics in our case and practice these principles in all our affairs. And um, practicing these principles in all our affairs means to live this spiritual life that I am being given, being granted, and and carry that um, message to anybody I can help in any way I can. Um, getting sober had an interesting effect on my professional life, um, and that is a lot of things started going really, really well. Um, and then um, there's um, a line in the 12 and 12. It's the very last line in the book, actually, 
that is sometimes used in by some of the uh, uh, speakers, um, the speaker tape recorder, the recording people, the tapers. They used to be tapes, they're not tapes anymore. That's why I was struggling. Um, and they'll use this line that's the last line of the 12 and 12. We're sure that humility expressed by anonymity is the greatest safeguard that Sexaholics Anonymous, in our case, can ever have. And um, I was breaking my anonymity, and um, it's as helpful and as powerful as spiritual recovery was in my professional work. Uh, it also, the ignoring the anonymity and the humility that goes with that uh, has caused tremendous problems. Uh, and it really was my break in my anonymity that was causing the problems. Sometimes uh, when we're closing meetings, I did it today, as a matter of fact, and we say, um, nobody speaks for SA, and we keep our anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. I will sometimes add, uh, and if you're tempted to do that, talk to me first, because I tried it, and it was a disaster. And that's uh, fairly uh, accurate. The um, the the principles of this program are to be a part of, to be a part of a fellowship and anonymity and humility are, are right at the foundation of who we are. And so the spiritual awakening is to accept all of it. Uh, sometimes we'll say things, uh, God is either everything or nothing. And, and I can get distracted by David's aches and pains, just like anybody else, or David's ambitions or hopes or you know, frustrations or annoyances, or resent that list Roy ran down of how we get into this disease. And, um, and I, it doesn't work. <laughs> That's why I still qualify for this program every day. Um, and what does work is to be a part of a larger whole. And uh, the A Big Book has that, those paragraphs, and I'll read them on page 89, um, that it's the beginning of step 12 in the A Big Book. And it's, um, it's so much uh, what it is, um, my experience with spiritual awakening in a practical way. Speaking of which, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from lusting, I'll change it, as intensive work with other sexaholics. It works while other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other sexaholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And one of the most common discussions that I'll have with people, and it's both about myself and about them, is how much they have changed. And Sometimes people say how calm I am, and that's not my experience of myself over when I was growing up or as a young adult until I came into this fellowship, and it still isn't. This morning, um, a guy did something in the park when we were walking our dog, and I, I got into a rage attack with him, which I haven't done in a long time, and it's just, and my wife said, you are really awful back there, and, and the, what has changed, by the way, is I said, yep, you're right. And um, and just acknowledge the truth of it. And if I see him again, I'll make an amends. I've never seen him before. Um, and uh, and it's just uh, I told her because I think it's true. It really didn't have much to do with what he had actually done. I spoke to that, and if I had just walked away at that point, it would have been fine. 
I suddenly put it together with all the other resentments and frustrations and angers that I had going on as I woke when I woke up yet this morning and was out walking. And I wasn't visiting them behind anybody, but suddenly there it all was. And that's what I have to remember that my disease, my sexual addiction, my self-centeredness, all of my character defects are all right there. Um, and they may not be visible or they may not be sort of laid at the feet of other people. Um, and I'd rather not uh, have to do something for which I need to make an amends uh, because uh, if an amends is made properly, it's very humiliating. And that's the idea. It needs to be. Um, so, um the uh, just a reminder. I was grateful and and have been all day long, and I shared it at the meeting, and I'm sharing it now. Um, that I don't have to uh, live the life that I used to live if I don't want to live that. And the way I get to do that is what those paragraphs I just read from page eighty nine uh, by constantly giving it away. And the big book says this over and over again uh, that the root of the spiritual awakening in practice is to keep giving it away so that I can relive it. And it turns out I've been told the way our brains work, that's literally what happens. We literally do relive these connections. The part of my brain, uh, this is clinical talk. Uh, I'll be very brief. That is, was so distorted by my lust addiction. And that's what it is for me. I was, my sponsor just defined lust as asking the world to be different than the way God's providing it at that moment. That's a pretty broad scope for a definition of lust. And I, as soon as he said it, I totally identified with it. Because sure, it's sexual arousal and sexual lust. It's also every other kind of lust, though, where I think David's opinion, David's expectations, David's judgments, David's emotional reactions, whatever it is, uh, is more important than whatever is actually going on at that moment. And suddenly I'm right back in my self-centeredness. And that's a terribly scary place for me today in recovery. And that's also a place I lived for many, many years. Um, and um, and I, I don't miss that. I don't want it back. At the same time, I have a compulsion, and that part of my brain that kind of reacts that way, the flight or fight, the sexual arousal, the importance of sexual arousal, the seeming importance of sexual arousal, uh, that part really can be changed and has been changed, and I have a very different set of reactions today. Harvey, uh, this morning when he was talking, did a, uh, a riff on orgasms, and he said, you know, sexaholics, we never talk about sex. Well, there's some truth to that, and... Um, and a lot of what he described, and even more so in some ways, I'm not going to go off that path uh, any further than this, but uh, really applies to me, that the transformations that have taken place affect every level of my being. But it's because the core of my being, my, my, this core of my mental processes has actually uh, changed. Um, in step 12, in the 12 and 12, it says this, so practicing these steps, we had a spiritual awakening about which finally there was no question. Looking at those who were only beginning and still doubted themselves, the rest of us were able to see the change setting in. And that's what I was saying a minute ago, to watch the change take place in other people, which I have learned to treasure because that means change is taking place in me too. From great numbers of such experiences, we could predict that the doubter who still claimed he hadn't got the spiritual angle and who still considered his well-loved AA group the higher power would presently love God and call him by name. That's what happened to me. Uh, it took about three years, as I mentioned a while ago, uh, to get to that point, and yet it's uh, a point from which I've never wanted to return or apologize. 
Um, people who've known me over the years don't say they don't necessarily understand how I got there. I don't really care. What I do care is that it works for me, and uh, to hold on to that spiritual awakening has been a great gift. I, I think I've rattled on long enough per se. And I could then- listen for I could listen for a few hours, David. This is, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, J- Jess is truly, you know, I've listened to this to the spiritual talks at least three or four times, and and it's a little bit it's a little bit like spiritual reading. It's it's taking a, a spiritual shower for me. It's just bringing back all those truths that I get myself all befuddled and then I can go back and listen to Jess and recenter myself. It's just, just like spiritual reading. Um, so powerful. And you, you know, you had him as a sponsor and I could, it's somebody when it's so humbling for me to hear you then just honestly share how you can still, you know, wake up on the wrong side of the bed, but you know, it's so much different than before because you can immediately, you know, acknowledge that, you were you weren't that you weren't in the right place, and that 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 wasn't how you meant to behave. And sense yourself spiritually in a way that because because we are still crazy crazy people, you know we're insane. <laughs> yeah, and um, no, I someone uh, I frequently will come into a meeting. It happened today, as a matter of fact. And part of what I'll share in my meeting is some lust thought, some sexual thought. Uh, or just some rage or anger thought. In this case, I guess that guy this morning at the park, um, and um, and that I really don't want it. Harvey described to me early on in this program that this is told me this is a program of comfort. David, we learn how to live comfortably inside our actual boundaries rather than our fantasy boundaries. And I had totally reversed that. I wanted to live in my fantasy boundaries all the time. And it's not a place where I can live. <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a real world, and it's not a place I could share with anybody else. And the things I was thinking and doing in that world would not be acceptable in the real world. For, you know, uh, I, I shared with the group today at the meeting, um, we have very low standards for admission to this program, and, uh, and everybody who stay, comes in and stays has to meet them. Um, <laughs> I have sponsored people, only one actually, who had never, certainly never acted out sexually. He'd never even masturbated. He was crazy as a loon in the same way I'm crazy. And and he was preoccupied with sexual thoughts that he could not deal with. And and um, and I was grateful to sponsor him for a while. I, I Actually, the reason it stopped was I moved away. It wasn't uh, that anything happened with him. And I don't know if he's still around or not. What I do know is um, that... And I'd been. We've heard this in Alcoholics Anonymous. They say the problem isn't the alcohol; it's the alcoholism. And and for us, the problem is not sex. The problem is not masturbation. The problem is not lust. Even the problem is what happens to me when I take lust into me. And as as um, it says in the preamble of the A Big Book, it sets off this Dr. Silkworth. It sets off this pattern of craving that I can't control. And equally importantly, I begin to do things that make my life unmanageable and affect other people. And I have to accept that every day. Uh, I sometimes tell people, uh, sure, I haven't counted (laughs) a little while, but I've got 30 years and three months of sobriety or whatever. And yet, in fact, uh, I have 24 hours. Uh, So far today, I haven't acted out and I haven't uh, taken lust into me and and run with it the way I did for many, many decades uh, before I came in. So I don't have any doubt. I I watch people who come in and what Harvey said in his talk, I was so glad I was able to hear most of it. 
um, is that if we're struggling, we're simply not willing to work the program. And that sounds kind of harsh. Um, it's just the harsh truth is that uh, this is this is a very simple program. I tell people the changes I have to make that any of us have to make to be a part of Sexology Anonymous are very minimal. I just have to not be the center of the picture. And yet uh, the reality is that when I make that change, suddenly a whole new world opens up. And that's talked about over and over again in the uh, literature, uh, a world that I didn't even realize was possible uh, to live comfortably in my own skin, to um, to accept that I'm a sex. I, well, Jess would say this, as a matter of fact, frequently I've quoted it recently several times. Uh, David, God made us sexaholics. He probably knew what he was doing. And, and that, it took a while. He had to say it more than once for me to accept it. And it took a while to realize that was the, um, the simple truth that um, why I'm a sexaholic. It's like a, a diabetic say, why am I a diabetic? Well, actually, whether you know it or knew why or you don't know why, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, either you deal with it as you either do the things or you have the consequences of untreated diabetes. And Sexaholics Anonymous is uh, sexaholism is very much the same thing. Uh, how I got it, um, how I feel about it, it doesn't really make any difference. Either I live a life centered around the fact that God made me a sexaholic, he must have known what he was doing, or I don't. I, I had another spiritual awakening thing that I realized I wanted to mention, and it just came back to me as I was sharing that. Um, I'd been sober about 15 years, so about 15 years ago now. And I was in Denver at an international. Uh, well, two things happened in Denver. They happened to be both the same conference. And um, and one thing that happened was um, I read the fourth step prayer. This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save him from being angry. Thy will be done. It's a wonderful prayer. It's right there on page 67 or so, I think is where it is. Uh, wherever it's there, I, I may have the page number off. And, and, I, uh, and, yet, and I had read the big book many times by 15 years, and yet I had never seen that prayer. And that really hit me kind of like it did with the Thirsted Prayer many years before, um, that it's not only that I would change words, I can still be blind to things that are right in front of me. That's Roy mentions that in blindness and delusions. And, um, and I've used it many, many times since, uh, you can of course change the pronoun. This is a sick woman. How can I be helpful to her? It's great for marriages, I might add. And, um, and the whole point, God save it from being angry. Cause when I'm angry, I'm pushing away the very person I need the most at that moment. I mean, maybe I don't need him before or after, but at that moment, I do. Um, this morning when I got angry, my wife said, your face changed. <laughs> you really were angry. And um, and I, it was escalated. Uh, you know, I, it wasn't like a sudden on-off switch. And it was all pretty quick. And yet what I was doing was pushing away someone who had just made a mistake and and how do I want to be treated if I just make a mistake? Do I want somebody jumping all over me, screaming at me? And uh, and it was a gift, and I was pushing it away. And that's that's really what the, the, the that will still happen. And the fourth step prayer is: This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And spiritual awakening is that constant reconnection, even when I don't want it or if I violated it and I'm uncomfortable or in distress to 
uh, reconnect, uh, reconnect with the person, reconnect with my higher power, of course. And, and this is a we program. So reconnecting with God and another person are the same thing. Take the actions of love to improve our relations with others is one of the phrases. As far as I know, Roy gave it to us. Maybe he borrowed it from somewhere else in giving it to us. I don't know that. Um, but it, the other thing that happened in Denver um, that was equally stunning, uh, I was it just happened to be where I was in the book. I wasn't looking for anything. And on page 103, uh, the last three lines that are in italics, uh, and yet I had the same experience with these that I had the fourth step prayer. After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles, or lust in our case, was only were only a symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anything, anybody, or anything. And then the three words that just kind of really jarred me, all of it got me, but the three words at the end got me, we have to. And and to realize I have no, if I want sobriety and recovery, if I want to maintain this spiritual awakening or the experiences of spiritual awakening, um, I have to cease fighting anything or anybody, fighting my disease, fighting other people, fighting um, relationships, fighting, you know, just fate, uh, people, I've had quite a few deaths. I heard Marsha mentioning that in the previous hour. And, uh, I've been experiencing some of that myself. It's partly my age and, um, it's what happens when we get in their seventies and, um, and we cease fighting anything or anybody, uh, we have to. And those, those last three words just roll in my consciousness over and over again. We have to, I have to, do that if I want this recovery to continue, if I want sobriety, if I want the peace and the serenity that comes to me. Um, there's an AA guy in Nashville. I think it's a real person. It's a good story, but I think it's also a real person who is known for saying, um, I'm trying to get to the point as I sit in meetings that people can't tell whether I'm serene or retarded. And we don't use the word retarded anymore in this country anyway. At the same time, the sentiment, I totally understand um, that to really just accept the flow of life the way it is, the way God's presenting it, and to say, that's okay. Now, and, and I often have to ask for help. I was just telling someone in the last couple of days that the frequency, frequency with which I ask for help, I go into a store now. I did it just several times in the last couple of days. And within minutes, I'll be asking a clerk for help. And I had a really dramatic experience. I needed. I went into a store to buy a rather obscure tool to drill a hole in, in, in concrete. And it was not obscure, but I mean, we don't normally go around needing those things. And he came up with one uh, right away, which is good. And it wasn't what I had thought it would be. And then while we were just standing there talking about it, I was asking if it was going to work in the way I needed it to. Another guy came along and said, oh, now, you know what? Actually, there's something else here. And it turns out the clerk helping me didn't even know about this. That's right next to where you picked up this one. And it turned out to be the perfect tool, and it was half the price. <laughs> so it was kind of like, oh. <laughs> and what this is part of a spiritual awakening, I realize. And maybe it's uh, – I'm coming up on the end of the time fairly soon here. So um, um, I did then what I've done, I do many times a day, and I say the one phrase that reconnects me over and over again uh, with my higher power with God, and that is, thank you, God. Um, it was just such a perfect, and I brought that thing home and used it, and it worked it did exactly what I needed. And 
and very efficiently and quickly. And, and it, the whole thing is just, well, if I just let God be in charge and guide me where I need to go and get the things I need to get, it'll work out fine. And that happens in every piece of my life today. It may or may not be what I expected. God is remarkably uninterested in my expectations. Uh, he's very interested in, in what uh, I actually do. And if I say thank you, God, that increases the likelihood. I see one question that just came in, so should I? Yeah, go ahead and answer, Cindy, for sure. Uh, the question from, uh, looks like Cindy, NJ2, is there a difference between fighting and setting a boundary? Um, so as I said earlier on, the um, first word of the 12 steps is we. So one of the things I have to do to... Um, um, be okay to be sober and to be comfortable and serene and all those things is uh, to accept God's boundaries and not David's boundaries. And David will set boundaries. That's talking about myself. David will set boundaries out of fear. David will set boundaries out of expectations, uh, resentments, um, anticipations, uh, lust, uh, any of those things. Um, And, and the boundaries that God provides me, uh, which the boundaries of comfortable, of being truthful. I, I find I can't lie. Uh, I'm in a, I'm retired now, but I was in an occupation where people often paid me in cash. I had to report all of it. Not, it was fine. I mean, I didn't mind reporting it. It's just, I couldn't bear the risk of not reporting it. I had to be honest about it. And uh, I would, so I'd be amused because people, I think, thought they were doing me a favor to pay me in cash. I actually would prefer some other form because it was, it was less paper to deal with. And, um, and it's, that's what I find those boundaries that are provided by my higher power, whether it's the law or uh, whether it's other relationships or other people, those boundaries are fine. And, uh, and they're all needed. We all, we all have skin. Uh, Skin is one of the most important boundaries there is. And there's skins around relationships, too, and skins in institutions. And they're fine. It doesn't mean they don't need to be resisted or changed. Uh, Sometimes they do. It's just if they come from that, they'll be fine in terms of the group. And it was accepting the group that's been my sobriety and recovery. So fighting is not accepting that. And setting boundaries that are for David doesn't work for me. I'm well aware that this diverges pretty strongly from a lot of other uh, therapeutic approaches and some even some other fellowships. Um, and you know what? It works, and that's why I choose it. That's a long-winded answer to the question, but that's how I deal with it. Um, were there yeah. any other questions, Daniel? Or Well, I just want to say thank you so much. I had... I had-